Hello, and welcome to another edition of KUAR's Week in Review podcast. Coming up on this program. Governor Asa Hutchinson signs a law to eventually bring concealed firearms onto college campuses, the state capitol, stadiums, and bars. But some lawmakers are already worried that they've gone too far. The governor puts pen to paper to end a holiday celebrating both Robert E. Lee and Martin Luther King Jr. Ahead of next month's scheduled executions of eight inmates, we'll have a look at failed efforts to outlaw or limit capital punishment in Arkansas. And a look at a new effort that features some top cinematic talent hoping to foster a greater film community here in Arkansas. That's all coming up on the KUAR Week in Review podcast. I'm Chris Hickey. I'm Michael Hiplin. I'm Karen Trico-Stewart. And I'm Jacob Kaufman. Stick with us. All right, so we had a couple of really big stories coming out of the legislature this week. The 91st General Assembly is still underway with its regular session. The governor this week gave final approval to a very long and complicated bill that's gone through a lot of hurdles and amendments and changes, a concealed carry bill, one that expands where concealed carry license holders can bring their handguns in the state. Jacob, let's kind of run through the details of this bill and what it actually does. Um, The governor signed it on Wednesday. Yeah, definitely a convoluted process to get to this, but the bill's kind of straightforward. Basically, Arkansas is having a massive expansion of Second Amendment rights for residents here. Um, It would allow anyone who's 21 and older who gets a concealed carry license and an additional amount of eight hours of training Possibly active shooter training is kind of what the state police is trying to design it for. They'd be able to carry concealed handguns in all sorts of new environments that were once off limits. Those include college campuses, sporting events like Razorback games, although maybe there will be an exemption for that. We'll get to that in a minute. So all sorts of places like that. We've covered this before, the arguments. The arguments from proponents like Charlie Collins and other Republicans who overwhelmingly support this. The legislature really likes this kind of bill is that it will make you safer to be able to have your firearm with you that the less gun-free zones, the better we, off we are. Opponents of this argue that the more guns you have, the more accidents you have, and just the more shootings you have, period. And this uh, law will take effect on September 1st, and 120 days upon that effective date, the Arkansas State Police will have to develop these training requirements for enhanced concealed carry licenses, where license holders would have to undergo eight extra hours of yeah. training. So, Chris, you've been following this bill for a while. This bill has morphed in a lot of ways. It was once considered to be a big expansion, but now, in retrospect, it was fairly limited effort. Yeah, it originally applied to college campuses and faculty and staff, but now all concealed carry license holders could potentially uh, have the right to carry on campus and a number of other public venues. Uh, It passed the House easily in that limited scope, uh, just applying Mm -hmm. to colleges. But in the Senate, there are some amendments, some senators. uh, Senator Jeremy Hutchinson tried and failed to introduce an amendment to require 16 hours of active shooter training. And there was a big debate, and it got held up in the Senate for that long. And amidst all that, there were discussions by the sponsor, uh, Charlie Collins, a representative out of Fayetteville, Republican, the governor's office, and Trent Garner, the uh, Senate sponsor, and Jim Hendren, the Senate majority leader, a number of other, other leaders. They all kind of agreed to 
that it's okay to expand these concealed carry privileges as long as there's an extra training requirement. And this is a, a belief held by the governor as well. And he expressed this when he signed the bill. Um, he kind of referenced his role in um, working for the NRA on this uh, task force after the Sandy Hook shooting, uh, school shooting, in which they advocated for more armed guards, trained guards on campuses uh, school campuses in order to prevent mass shootings. So here I'll play some opening remarks here from the governor at his press conference after he signed it, kind of expressing this idea that he wants trained people to carry guns in public places. I've consistently recognized that there is a, a first of all, a Second Amendment privilege, but also a security and safety uh, benefit from firearms uh, by people who are properly trained. And so it's been a consistent view of mine. And so when this bill came forward and there was a, a, an argument, there was a need, a, a will of the General Assembly uh, to have firearms more broadly on our campuses, I said we have to have an enhanced training capacity there, an element to it. And so there is an enhanced uh, in training capacity, as he says, although it probably doesn't meet muster with some of the opponents and how they view the law. But amidst all this, the National Rifle Association has been kind of driving the process or the debate in some ways. Because originally the compromise was if we're going to let it on these college campuses, even though every single college campus and their police force says we don't want it, then we'll have an age of 25 and that training requirement. So it's kind of odd that... Yeah, 16 hours. But it's kind of odd that the, the compromise at one point was to kind of satisfy people opposed to guns on campus, and then the NRA came in, and then the compromise became, let's make it everywhere. Yeah, so it's greatly expanded. And, you know, even at this press conference, um, you know, the NRA made no, you know, they didn't hide themselves. They were, they were right there. Their chief lobbyist, a national lobbyist, National Rifle Association, Chris Cox, was on hand. And he uh, spoke to reporters just about concealed carry privileges and what their ultimate goal is. And also, I asked him, what, what restrictions, if any, does the NRA support on concealed carry licensing? And uh, here's what he had to say. I mean, the, the, the question becomes, is there, is there a place where law-abiding people can't or shouldn't be trusted to defend themselves? And I don't believe there, there are places. But, there, of course, there are everyday exemptions to those sorts of, you know, those sorts of philosophical approaches. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to carry a gun into a secure area, you know, where the president is because the Secret Service is not going to allow that. So basically their view is they want to see as many places open up to concealed carry holders as possible unless there is already some heavy security presence. Now, I asked uh, one of the chief opponents of this legislation, Greg Letting, a state representative Democrat out of uh, Fayetteville, who's long opposed this. He represents the U of A Fayetteville campus about what he thought about the NRA's influence in this whole debate. But I think they absolutely had outsized influence. They essentially controlled this entire process. And in my opinion, the people who are going to be directly affected by this, the students, parents, athletes, law enforcement officers on our campuses, they're the ones whose opinion matter most. Uh, unless you have a connection to campus, I don't really care what you think because you're not going to be affected. And the people who are on our campuses made it abundantly clear, crystal clear, that they oppose this. So kind of referencing some of that opposition. One thing I, I was curious about is why did the governor 
you know, there, there was a little bit of a drama about whether or not he would actually sign this. And even the press release announcing the event on Wednesday said the governor will announce his intentions tomorrow. It wasn't the normal we're going to have a bill signing ceremony that you normally have with the governor. And you also didn't have the governor walk out there, clear a spot at the uh, conference room table and do a big dramatic signing. The signing apparently happened behind closed doors. Seemed to suggest the governor, while he's supporting this, he's not very passionate. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, this seems to suggest some reservations. I, I know like in on social media, a lot of the opponents for this bill have been tweeting at the governor constantly asking him to veto it. He waited until the last day to sign it until, you know, there's a process whereby, you know, he could choose not to sign it and it would still go in a, into effect after, I think, five days or something. But yeah, it seems like, you know, he wasn't sure about it until the very end or something. I I know there are a couple of exemptions still kind of in the works. I don't know, Jacob, you maybe want to weigh in on that in terms of hospitals and um, Razorback stadiums and yeah, there's stuff. some. So you know, after you know, before this was passed, people realized that Razorback football games, UAMS, you'd be able to concealed carry in that. And some people obviously want that. They think there should be zero restrictions on your Second Amendment right. Why would it be any different? No matter where you are, it's, it's your right to do it. But uh, Senate President Jonathan Dismaying has proposed some amendments to exempt the state hospital in Little Rock and University of Arkansas for medical sciences. And the Senate also passed something today to exempt uh, various stadiums and athletic events. So we'll see what happens with that legislation. I assume it'll pass through, but maybe not. Chris and I have been contacting Arkansas schools all day, SEC conference, the GAC conference, the SWAC conference, a few other ones. All of them uh, say, basically say they're consulting with universities about how to handle it. All right, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. Likely not to be any concealed carry firearms in stadiums this year because based on when the effective date and training requirements being developed, it might be until next year. And also we have this additional legislation to consider. Another monumental piece of legislation was signed this week, and we've talked about this quite frequently. It seemed back in 2015 when this debate came up that we may never see this piece of legislation advance, but the governor signed a bill that does separate the holiday for Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights icon, and a day for Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general. So this was passed last week, and I believe you guys had a segment from George mm-hmm. McGill, who had a speech that many legislators said was pretty, pretty memorable. So with Arkansas vacating the Lee holiday, moving him to a Memorial Day in October that uh, marks his death date, it'll leave Alabama and Mississippi as the only states in the country that still recognize Lee and King on the same day in January. And uh, Virginia, which is Lee's home state, they abandoned the practice back in 2000. Uh, here's a cut from Governor Asa Hutchinson at his press conference. Unlike the gun bill, he wanted everyone to see him signing it and take tons of pictures of that. Uh, he thought it would be a tougher struggle. To be quite honest, I expected this debate would divide us. But instead, during the debate, we listened to each other, and the conversation brought us together. So a lot of people credited the governor with personally leading this. Uh, he said in a committee hearing that in 2015, he didn't lift a finger to help it, even though he supported it. 
Uh, he personally testified in two committees, which he does. I don't think he's done for any other bill this entire this session, at least maybe not even the no. 2015 one. So clear priority. You know, he, he mentioned this several times that his support for this comes in a larger national context of he didn't explicitly say like uh, deteriorating race relations, but that's kind of what he referred to with Freddie Gray in Baltimore and South Carolina and the Dylan Roof shooting. And pretty much said that this impacted the image of Arkansas yeah. and that this would be a clear statement. That if it's possible to heal wounds and bring people together before a tragedy, then that's the right time to do it. Uh, in South Carolina at that church, I believe that they were at a prayer meeting and that prayer made a difference. And within the people and their heart. And actually seeing what happened in South Carolina and Baltimore and recognize that any community can be faced with those same challenges, uh, I said, what can we do as a state? And, you know, we've had some town hall or groups and conversations, but I think this is also uh, something that you do in advance uh, uh, that prepares hearts and brings people together and diminishes the divide. It's important to note that the governor still says we should be proud of Confederate heritage. So while they're separating the day to be considerate maybe to their colleagues, the fundamental issue of whether the Confederacy, what it represents, is still out there in Arkansas. They didn't really address that at all. Um, Some unlikely heroes in this, two white Republicans, Grant Hodges out of Rogers and Dave Wallace from Leachville in northeast Arkansas. Talked to Hodges after the bill signing ceremony says he was surprised. The governor just asked him to carry the bill. He figured it was because he was from the right part of the state, which I interpreted to mean white Republican part of the state in northwest Arkansas. He said it was a pretty overwhelming experience. He certainly never expected to be part of some civil rights debate. History of this, and we'll wrap this up. 1947, Arkansas recognized the Lee Holiday. Columnist Ernie Dumas says it was a response to the Truman administration desegregating the armed forces and things like that. So it's part of a segregationist uh, effort. 1983, federal government made King a holiday victim of a bizarre historical circumstance. The birthday of King and Lee are on the opposite end of weekends in January. And because of that, a lot of state officials didn't want people taken off two days in a row like that. So Bill Clinton in 1985 Along, this is a practice several other southern states did. Join the two men together, one less state holiday to worry about, but also perhaps people didn't want to give King the full recognition that the federal government wanted, so they stuck him with Lee. We're getting closer to what many have called an unprecedented execution timetable here in Arkansas. Eight men set to be executed over a 10-day schedule in April. Meanwhile, in the legislature, there have been efforts, and there were efforts this week, to actually abolish capital punishment in Arkansas. And seems like a very relevant debate now that we're sensing the reality of this moment in terms of this punishment timetable here in Arkansas. Michael, you covered this uh, debate in a House committee earlier this week about these failed bills. Uh, uh, Take us through it. Yeah, you had uh, three bills, and pretty much the backers of all three acknowledged there was no chance for any of these to pass. But it still brought out a very vigorous debate about whether or not to have the death penalty. Uh, The key bill was uh, sponsored by Representative Vivian Flowers, a Democrat of Pine Bluff, which would have eliminated the death penalty as a possible sentence for anyone convicted of capital murder. And you had prosecutors come out 
speak about the importance of the death penalty. You had uh, opponents, people like the Arkansas Coalition to abolish the death penalty, who said it's not an effective deterrent, who said that uh, you have had cases where people have later been exonerated of crimes that had been sentenced to uh, the death penalty in Arkansas. Uh, you had uh, a very you know, strong debate here, which uh, I, I think was uh, good considering that we're about to have these eight executions, uh, but it brought out a lot of emotion. And uh, in particular, uh, one uh, person who uh, served on that committee, uh, Representative Rebecca Petty, a Republican of Rogers, this brought up a, a key issue that she has, uh, you know, talked about her entire uh, career in the legislature about uh, crime and punishment. And uh, she brought up the uh, abduction and murder of her daughter in 1999. So I want this committee to know that my daughter, Andy, who was a 12-year-old girl, was a sweet little girl, broke no rules, loved animals, wanted to be a teacher, she loved life. The man who kidnapped, raped, and strangled her to death and left her in the elements for three days while he came back to help our family search for her and lead police in a different direction was a predatory monster. And she said this is uh, exactly the kind of case that the uh, death penalty is uh, good for. Her bill, Vivian Flowers' bill, ended up being withdrawn after extensive debate. It was because of uh, language written in the bill that uh, it did not explicitly say that someone uh, who's convicted of capital murder would serve life in prison without parole. Without parole was missing. So uh, Representative Flowers withdrew the bill, said she will uh, bring it back to the committee. So this is uh, still up in the air. But meanwhile, at that same hearing, you did have two other proposals considered, one of which would look at the uh, mental state of uh, death row inmates, and in particular, uh, focused on the debate over medicating inmates, said that you have inmates who uh, you... The Supreme Court, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, has said that you cannot execute mentally um, unstable people, uh, and that's been decided. But uh, there's question about then, well, what about medicating inmates? And we had uh, Professor Tom Sullivan, he's with the University of Arkansas Bowen School of Law, speak to the committee about the confusion over what this bill would uh, mean, this bill that would prohibit executing people with certain mental conditions. What does the uh, criminal justice system do with respect to the fact there's an ongoing mental illness and the ongoing mental illness precludes execution? And a lot of those inmates can be treated with psychotic or psychoactive medications that will address the symptoms of psychosis. The problem with that is that the issue of whether or not it's constitutional to impose medication on an ill or mentally ill death row inmate for the purpose of rendering that inmate competent for execution is still unresolved in the U.S. Supreme Court. And Michael, I think an issue that's important to note is that we're actually not talking about the state of mind when someone commits the crime, but their state of mind when they're being punished and whether or not they, they understand that they're being punished. Yeah, 
And that then gets back to, uh, is it okay to then medicate someone? Then they're saying, and now, okay, you're good. Let's, uh, let's bring you to the death chamber. The uh, proposal ended up uh, being uh, voted down by uh, members. That was the uh, House Judiciary Committee. The third proposal uh, would have raised the standard for uh, someone that you sentence to death to beyond any doubt. Very technical language, but uh, that would have raised it to, I believe the uh, current term is beyond a reasonable doubt. So it would have made it a higher threshold that juries would have to consider before they imposed a sentence of death. Uh, And that uh, was also uh, voted down. So you had two of these bills that were rejected. The other one still remains to be voted upon, but still extensively debated on Tuesday. I'll just add for all the podcast listeners to tune in on Monday morning, and we'll hear a piece from Ann Kenda on Morning Edition with an interview with one of the West Memphis Three about death row and the death penalty. And we've got lots of coverage coming from Michael and Karen and Chris and everybody. And it's all next month is what's happening. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because uh, you had uh, that uh, one member of the West Memphis Three, Damian Eccles, who at one time uh, was on death row, was uh, in line to be executed. And uh, later he, along with the others, were able to uh, plead to this uh, Alfred plea and uh, were all released. But yeah, it will be interesting to hear his thoughts to uh, Ann Kenda from uh, Arkansas Public Media. Yeah, and I understand that Ann specifically um, asked him about these eight men, and and he's uh, talked a lot about his relationships with these eight men. That'll be something certainly to look forward to. And um, Karen, you also have have been researching this, uh, you know, just the execution timetable schedule and just within the broader context of of executions around the country and like in our neighboring state, Oklahoma, you've been doing some research at the Death Penalty uh, Research Center, I think is. Yeah, Death Penalty Information Center. Information Center. What new information can you give us? A lot of the debate seems centered around these execution drugs, uh, specifically midazolam, which has been controversial over the years because there have been botched executions with the use of this drug. And so we'll be talking to a reporter from the Associated Press who has witnessed both executions using midazolam. And I should state he witnessed the uh, 2014 execution of Clayton Lockett um, that we all heard about that that was botched. And he's also uh, witnessed executions that don't use midazolam. And so he's going to talk a little bit about, you know, those two points, the difference exactly, and and what um, he saw. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that as well. Let's move on to some inspiring and exciting news, really, for the film community in Arkansas. This week, there was an announcement that a new film society of Arkansas would spring up and would include some pretty big names. Karen, take us through what this is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Jeff Nichols of Arkansas, um, he's a writer and director, has started up this this effort, and like you said, the Arkansas Cinema Society. And um, it's with the goal of hosting seminars on, on filmmaking and giving people a chance to uh, form connections and also to, to just bring people together to watch movies that they otherwise uh, may not have seen and, and have healthy discussions about the movie. 
Um, I spoke with Arkansas film critic Philip Martin, um, who's very connected to the Arkansas film scene here. Um, and I just wanted to get a broader take on what he thinks this might mean for the film scene. And um, he said that he talked to Nichols about film culture and um, the Little Rock Film Festival seemingly being just dismantled. Um, and so he remembers a conversation he had with Nichols where Nichols said, what needs to be done to revive things? And so Philip said he was excited about the announcement because Nichols clearly took action on that and formed this uh, cinema society. And so Martin talked about two things. One was a potential struggle for Arkansas filmmaking and then the other was uh, something that's very attractive that this state has uh, when it comes to making films. There's two questions here. and one, one is the financial incentives that we really don't have anymore, that we really do lose out to uh, productions in New Mexico and um, in Louisiana and places that offer bigger financial incentives. And that's a political question, and that's a question about that I really, you know, don't want to I don't want to say too much about because I really don't I really don't know whether it's worth the you know the taxpayers monies to incentivize you know this sort of production but what we have in the state that's attractive to filmmakers is that we're like Ireland you can go 5 miles in the terrain changes. You can uh, shoot urban scenes here. Arkansas can double for just about any place in the country, you know. I mean, we don't have a we don't have an ocean, we don't have a beach, but other than that, we've got just about everything else you want. And it's within a few miles. And we're starting to build a real class of professional here about people who could staff these movies. I don't know that you could completely crew a major Hollywood motion picture with people who live in Arkansas, but we're really close. I mean, we really do have people who can run camera, can run lights, can run sound. We have, you know, people who can do costume design. We have all these things here. Philip makes a very good point in that, obviously, you know, Arkansas could be a really great state for filming. And, you know, it's interesting that Jeff Nichols would be a key part of this project since a couple of his films were shot here, like uh, 2013's Mud, uh, which was shot down in the Arkansas Delta. And I think his very first film, Shotgun Stories, was also filmed around there. So obviously it's good to have someone at the helm who right. knows about you know the state, having lived here, of course, but also having a experience in working here. Absolutely. And so it seems that Nichols really has this uh, true passion and uh, the project, the society is still um, in its infancy. So we will see. Um, but it seems Nichols is very hopeful. Martin is definitely very hopeful. Uh, we'll take it from here and we'll see where it goes. Any idea of when the first public events might occur with this film society? Uh, to be honest, I don't know um, when the first public events will occur, but I do know that in the next year, um, it is Nichols' goal to host three uh, seminars on filmmaking. Very cool. Karen Trico-Stewart, thanks a lot for filling us in on cultural happenings in the natural state. All right, well, that does it for KUAR's Week in Review podcast, bringing you news and culture for Arkansas every week. 
KUAR is a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, although we are editorially independent. And we're streaming live at KUAR.org. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you uh, get your podcast. And don't forget about our weekly Roundup email. Go to KUAR.org slash Roundup um, and have a Roundup email delivered to your inbox every week. This is all a two-way street, so we want to hear from you. We have an email address. It's comments at KUAR.org. Tell us what you think about this podcast, what we cover. Um, We'd love to know your ideas. Thanks and have a good weekend. Take care.